Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to that Christian geeky couple from Boise, Idaho. This is Adam and Andrea Graham, and we're continuing our look at the timeline of River Song. And up next is the Angels Take Manhattan. And the plot of this story involves a group of angels graduating from college and coming to New York City in order to put on a musical to make people uh, sing and dance and to be very happy. However, they end up at a restaurant where rats are running around. And the rats are actually transported back to the 19th century. But one of the angels is told by the cafe owner that peoples are peoples. Oops, okay, that's actually the Muppets take Manhattan. Um, the angels take Manhattan is a very different story. And uh, it involves uh, Rory being caught by the angels and sent back to uh, 1938 New York City. Um, apparently, uh, uh, the with the Daleks in the not in the earlier in the decade, uh, this was just a time when uh, aliens were looking at New York City as just a place they wanted to invade, um, and. Uh, the angels have got a clever and intricate plan. Uh, but the story that we're treated to is a very sad story. It's a very sad story. I mean, what they did to the weeping angels in Doctor Who. Well, okay. So, essentially, I, I think you have to talk about it on two levels. First, as an Amy and Rory, you talk about it as an Amy and Rory story, and then uh, Weeping Angels and everything else aside. I think you've, you've got to talk about it on those two different levels. So, I'm betting you want to go with the Amy and Rory story first. That is the story. Okay, well, I, I think... There is no other story. I think the Amy and Rory uh, portion is definitely moving. Um, and I guess you can sing the spoiler song if you want. Spoilers. Spoilers. Spoilers ahead. Spoilers. So, Rory is uh, zapped back in time to the 1930s. Amy and the Doctor uh, follow in the TARDIS to rescue him and find him in a hotel where the uh, Weeping Angels are running a sort of uh, time loop uh, farm where they send people back in time uh, and they end up at an earlier time period in the same hotel room and stuck in that hotel room for their whole lives until they die again. Uh, and it's basically uh, a sort of renewable energy source. 
um, that the angels have used to take over the Statue of Liberty and change the Statue of Liberty into a weeping angel. That's angel plot. Never, 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 never gonna happen. Never, 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 never gonna happen. Okay, we're on the Amy and Rory plot. You, you said that wasn't even in there. That it's just Amy and Rory. So... Uh, well, like I said, never, 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 never gonna happen. Never, 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 never gonna happen. Well, in the story, um, uh, essentially, they need to, uh, to try to escape the time loop, and Rory and Amy chooses to go with Rory to um, res to rescue him somehow. And they end up coming up with uh, a plan, well, Rory comes up with a plan to escape, which is for him to jump off the building, because therefore he will have died twice, and he will shatter the paradox power of the Weeping Angels. Um, and, and, uh... Yeah, and it's a very intense scene in many ways throughout. You know, of course, Rory assumes that being Rory, if he jumps to his death, he'll wake up fine because he's Rory and that's kind of what he does. Oh, it's happened before. It'll happen again. Yeah. He may not know how. Okay. So, but Amy, Amy, um, uh, does not buy it. And particularly when Rory says that he's going to need her help to push him off the building. Um. That could have been us. (laughs) Like, I can't do it either. And so they end up falling off the building. Uh, together in a very stylistic scene. That was very, a uh, very amazing touch. The um, human self-preservation instinct, making it difficult for him to throw himself off a building. Yeah, well, he wasn't suicidal. He was just hoping to break the paradox. And I would think even when you're suicidal. The instinct would flare up. Okay. Yeah. Scream at you. What are we doing? Stop. Uh, Anyway, it ends up with them landing in a cemetery where the TARDIS has landed before. Where Rory sees an angel uh, when uh, other people are actually looking in the general direction, but he is gobbled up and sent back in time. And Amy willingly chooses to be killed by the angel and be sent back in time in order to be with Rory. And... And their gravestones have on it just their ages. Because that doesn't look unusual at all in a cemetery. But it is a very beautiful scene. 
I was crying. Well, if they had, you know, ordered it themselves, wouldn't it be kind of awkward? Their um, birth dates being later than their death dates. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I'd be like, you know. And you wouldn't you? Would you want to be that dishonest on your grace on a false birth date? I'll be true to myself and just put age. Well, when were they born? When was this thing even put here? Well, yeah. But at any rate, it was beautifully done. It was a very good exit uh, in terms of just emotional power that was packed uh, into the story. And that really is the highlight is the Amy-Rory relationship. And to be honest, throughout the time that they were on Doctor Who together, it often felt like Amy was a bit of a jerk to Rory uh, a lot. And so, in end, that kind of like the uh, Pandorica Opens episode remind us that Amy really does care for Rory and really does love him. I think it's a fitting and beautiful uh, exit in that way. It was a tearjerker. It was beautiful. Yeah, and... I would have rather something less tragic, but at the same time, they're safe, at least they were safe in the past and together. And eventually air conditioning was invented again. And it looks like they finished their outdoor days on the best country in the world. Yes, and they were totally... Go Team USA! They were totally safe, you know, what with the Daleks in England and, yeah, all the stuff. New York is a lot safer to be than London in the Doctor Who universe, that's for sure. Well, you know, if they happen to go on the Empire State Building on the same day that the TARDIS lands there being pursued by the Daleks, well, they'd probably be okay. Um... But yeah, they lived to uh, a ripe old age. And as we saw in PS, they actually adopted a son um, who went and uh, explained what happened to Rory's father. Is that canonical? Um, Pretty much. The guy who wrote it is Chris uh, Chibnall, who is actually going to be the next producer of Doctor Who. So, yeah, it's can it's... If it wasn't canonical before, it is canonical now. Okay. So that was all really, really sweet. So we've covered that part. Let's Can I ask a completely unrelated question? Okay. Why is your face so red? Um, I don't know. Maybe given blood or sun or whatever. Okay. Now on to... Um, uh, the uh, rest of the story, and that's the... So we start with the intro. To admit, I didn't like the intro the first time I saw it, because it was so long. And it featured a character who was essentially uh, killed off. But it was a great salute to the great s- s- detectives. It even mentioned... A, a, it even clearly was... A reference to a particular one. 
yeah, it was a nice illusion, but it didn't really fit with the plot. But I forgave it this time because I thought, yeah, it does kind of set the scene, even though I think there were less extravagant ways to do that. It really did set the mood and tone perfectly. It was really nice and spooky. Yeah, but it was long. And we could have had P.S. actually in the episode if they tightened that opening up a bit. So they did kind of kill off Philip Marlowe. Yeah, yeah. And that was his whole point of going there. Um, and why did somebody hire him to go there again? They hired him to go there because there might be weeping angels, and the guy was obsessed with weeping angels, so he hired a single private detective to go to a hotel run by the weeping angels because... I don't know. Um, And... Uh, the angels themselves were a bit problematic. Um, sometimes I think Marlowe, I mean, you got me saying Marlowe. Um, Moffat doesn't quite know when to quit. He just figures, okay, weeping angels were scary. Now we're going to add some more stuff, you know. And I think, you know, we talked about on Flesh and Stone that I th- that what he added there was okay. Here, was the Melody Malone thing, was the Malone reference to anyone in particular? I don't think so. It's just an idea of her as a... Uh, uh, as a um, hard-boiled private eye, that really did work. Um, but back to the angels. Um, the power of the angels to change non-statues into angels and then them using it on the Statue of Liberty. Never, never, never gonna happen. 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 Well, even if uh, you allowed for the possibility, the idea, nope. the idea of the Statue of Liberty moving across the water into the heart of the city to stand over a building and nobody noticing it—now that is stupid. You know, it's like, oh, the Statue of Liberty as a weeping angel. That would be really cool. No, it would be really stupid. Um, there would be, even if, yeah, like I said, it's never going to happen. And one of the reasons it's never going to happen is, let's let's say you man, even if you manage to infect it, that thing is so huge, somebody's going to have their eyes on it nearly constantly. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's... Especially in New York. Yeah, it's a, it's a landmark. I mean, I mean, there, you would have to have a moment when no one was looking at the Statue of Liberty. Nobody had their eyes on it. Well, you wouldn't just need a moment. You'd need several minutes for it to get across there. And you'd have to have nobody noticing that it had gone. And the thing is, there is no reason on earth that you need a Statue of Liberty-sized weeping angel. That is just absurd. I mean, and it's not even, it's not absurd in a funny way. It's just stupid. It's like, what message are you trying to make? I mean, it's kind of cliche to do, 
to it's a it's a cliche of a completely different genre of noir. It's a cliche of the disaster films that the uh, Statue of Liberty is destroyed. The disaster films and post-apocalyptic. This is neither a disaster film nor post-apocalyptic. That's the genres that you. It's where everybody feels obliged to blow up or otherwise desecrate the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, it's just. It symbolizes the end of freedom and the beginning of terror and chaos. Yeah, it's it was it was just nonsensical. I think the way it played out, and even the Weeping Angels' whole idea of this far hotel slash farm, where they would keep recycling people, it you know I, I think it takes away from the sort of menace that they were established to be in Blink. Not really. It's illogical. And they're intelligent creatures, honey. It's a very logical step for them to take. Franchising. Eh. I, I will say New York was a, probably the only place in the... Or was probably the best place in the United States where you could have a Weeping Angel story. One thing, you know, that does make Blink... Uh, while it's a great story and well told... It's a little foreign, I think, to a lot of us because we don't live in cities that are full of uh, a bunch of old statues. Um, you know, I think that there are a lot more old statues around, um, you know, particularly in this sort of weeping angel uh, architecture, you know, in England. And one, you know, and, you know, London in particular, but you, you can find it throughout England. Uh, New York City, I think, is one of those cities where, in the U.S., where you do have a, a fair number of statues. So I think I will give them credit for the setting. And since we're doing this because of River Song, her her uh, plot arc is is uh, I think kind of uh, uh, interesting uh, with her being the hard boiled private eye and. Uh, the idea that as she is growing older, she feels pressure because of the doctors always having these, um, uh, having this, the younger face of the 11th, uh, doctor to be, uh, younger and to hide signs of her age. Um, it, it's an intriguing picture. Vulnerability and weakness. Yeah. And it's it's an interesting thing. It does make you feel like that there have been some additional stories in between uh, what we saw with um, uh, with flesh and stone in this that have kind of shaped her feelings about the doctor. Uh, so I, I found that fairly interesting. It was kind of annoying this episode where everybody was just sort of really being hard on the uh, doctor, you know, at one point. I had a question of why River was so upset with him when he was t did his t tender, compassionate, you know, loving thing and, re and fixed her hand. Yeah, well... I, I, I mean, she was... At, it wasn't... It didn't strike me as 
for simply being upset about him using regeneration energy, not knowing that he didn't have enough to regenerate again left anyways. Well, I think if you go back to the 10th Doctor story, Series 2, he was able to get, you know, not using anything related to regeneration, but he was able to... Uh, give like a spark of his life to restart the TARDIS. But in doing that, that took 10 years off of his life. Um, and so the 11th Doctor Healing River took time off of his life. And I think that is what, um, bov- what bothered her is that she cares about him and doesn't want him uh, to die. That's what I was saying. I mean, it seemed to be something more beyond that. Like I said, she was, she there was embarrassment, not just anger. Well, she... And, like, you're taking... This is taking more time off of your life than it would have taken me to heal the injury the human way. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it. I mean, but there was something else because that doesn't count for her claiming to be embarrassed. Well, it, you know, if this is an older river song, uh, I guess another possibility is that she may have. You know, I think she's glad she was glad to save his life, but I don't think, you know, necessarily to cure the poison, she needed to give up every single one of her future regenerations. Um, though she wouldn't actually get to regenerate regardless of whether she had them or not. So maybe she was feeling some regret at that, that she couldn't regenerate to, you know, match him or have that capability. Um, and maybe that it was sort of by proxy regret on that. That she needed his help when she used to be able to regenerate. Yeah. And then you do have the idea of the 11th Doctor, um, having these, uh, not liking endings. And that was something I think that, Moffat did some foreshadowing. It might have been a little heavy-handed with the tearing of the book out, but it, it there were a couple times setting the stage for. It, it, what bugged me just to finish what I was thinking. What bugged me about it is, is her behavior is basically he gave a very sweet sacrificial gift, and her behavior is just very lack of gratitude. It, make, it would feel like a slap in the face and tossing it out on the ground and to me that was just you know wrong yeah like i i think that the 11th doctor got dumped on and that was that did rub me the wrong way i think uh when i when i saw it the first time this time i was kind of prepared for it and i kind of see some rationalizations for it but i do see where you're coming from um so the doc, the idea of the doctor hating endings is was a theme kind of worked through the story with a couple foreshadowings, both with the doctor discarding the last uh, few pages of the novel so that he the book wouldn't have to end, 
and then him seeing that the chapter heading of Amelia's final farewell and being absolutely terrified by it and what that would mean. Um, and it's, it's, it's a bit of foreshadowing and I think it can be understood. Why did they do that to him knowing he, didn't they know he was going to read ahead the chapter headings? Well, no, uh, well, I mean, they left him clues in the chapter headings. Well, so they, why would that one be, um, put something so unsafe in it? Well, I, I guess they had to make the book make sense, though it doesn't make much sense on the TV show. Um, and I think that there's, uh, Really, Matt Smith does give a good performance with the anguish of this, and he, and of course, the Eleventh Doctor does respond to his companions, his beloved companions' advice not to travel alone, and her and her encouragement to uh, go on with his life by going to Victorian England and putting the TARDIS in the clouds. But that's another story. Well, initially, he leaves with. He initially takes her advice. He he goes with River Song. He doesn't uh, go off alone until River leaves him. Yeah. He was basically his I, I, way of taking her advice was to cling to River. But at some point, River left him for some reason. I don't think it was his choice. Well, yeah, she's her kind She's of got the wandering feet wandering feet well her whole uh li- a limit of one psychopath per tardis i guess but she's the only psychopath well the the thought of the episode is that the doctor is a bit of nuts he's like batman bat doctor he's bat doctor huh well, like Batman is supposed to be as nuts as his villain, only a good guy. And the Doctor no, is supposed to be nuts, sort of. He's uh, the madman in the box. Anyway. But he's not a psycho. So. He's a different creature altogether. So, we'll go ahead and we'll, first of all, let's go ahead and overall thoughts on um, the Angels Take Manhattan. Um, Andrea, you can offer your rating first. Nine and a half. Nine and a half. Okay. I like a lot of the Amy and Rory stuff, but they did a lot of stuff with the angels that didn't make sense, including how Amy and Rory disappeared. That's why I took half of the So I'm going to give it six Tardises out of ten. Why is your reading so ridiculously low? Because Such an every awesome, beautiful story. Because everything outside of Amy and Rory had more problems. Okay, and then how about P.S. as a as a three minute uh, video short that was never filmed? Um, I'll give that one a nine. I'll give that one a five. If maybe if it has actually been filmed, uh, and I, if it's, you know, as it is, it's just kind of take it or leave it. Okay. Well, now we move. And just that one kind of made me cry in a way that didn't feel cathartic. Okay. 
All right, well, now we move on to the librarians and the heart of darkness, um, in which the librarians are going to Eastern Europe and they find a haunted house that's supposedly the source of haunted house legends. And people keep disappearing, and nobody trusts Cassandra. And Ezekiel Jones calls her Math Girl, even though he's never called her that before. Uh, while Colonel, that did sound familiar to me. Well, and Colonel Baird kept her out of everything for fear that she might betray them. Um, it was kind of inexplicable to me. That didn't even seem to explain the behavior at all. Because she had, they had been, I mean, it's been a while since she betrayed them, and why would they be doing that now? I thought it was because she had been sick, having uh, been sick lately, and they were tr- treating her like she was going to break, is how I took it. Right. But neither actually made sense with how the uh, stories had gone. Now, I will say this story might have made a little bit more sense if it was initially planned as, say, the third or fourth episode of the season, and then it got shuffled around because of scheduling, and it ends up the eighth episode. But in the eighth episode, it's an entirely different point in uh, her character journey. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Because after that, she only once betrayed them, Um, And that was in the episode where everybody was betraying them at one time or another because of the apple of discord. Though it's true that she was the only one who, when she went uh, crazy um, under the influence of the apple of discord, plotted a plan to wipe Paris off the face of the earth. Um, uh, While in her underwear, mind you. So that was that was unique um i thought this was a bit darker and you know sometimes in her defense that what she was wearing as underwear some women would uh wear as clothes i won't comment on you know (laughs) i just won't go there good um what did you think i was going to say for chance uh, I will not go there either. Okay, so I, I think that darker isn't always better. It felt like it was trying to be something that it really wasn't through a lot of this episode. Um, though there were a few cool touches, like uh, a part of the house trying to protect the librarians by shrinking them and putting them in the dollhouse. And I love that when Stone arrived there, Ezekiel Jones was just sitting on a chair, relaxing and playing video games in the midst of all the craziness that was going on. Yeah, that was a nice touch. Yeah. Um, and this one, though, it, it, just, it, just, it just felt like a filler episode. Um... And it does, it does turn very, very scary in a way that just doesn't seem to fit with the librarian brand going back to the movies. And if it has a doll, and why didn't it do that with everybody? Why wasn't there a whole bunch of victims inside the dollhouse kept safe and sound? Yeah, that's the one thing. It's like, and even the whole explanation is that this was the house that was, a, was like a restorative house, but 
because the serial killer arrived, it became a killing house. And particularly when Cassandra explains at the end that the house doesn't grant wishes, it fulfills needs. So... The serial killer does not need to kill, really. Yeah. So it, it just it just not, did not make... There was a lack of uh, logic, and it didn't fit the tone. Cassandra does have some strong scenes. And I don't understand how the serial killer became a, a spook herself. Yeah. Um, I think there are just a lot of missing explanations. And like I said, it's not a story that fits into the whole librarian theme with kind of lighthearted and funny twist on myths and magic. Uh, this one was trying to be, you know, very scary, heart-pounding. And it, it had some of those scenes. It didn't really fit that well in with the show. Uh, like I said, some strong individual scenes. Uh, Cassandra, a few, and the scene with Ezekiel Z- Jones was, you know, uh, pretty good. Um, but overall, I think this one was a bit of a miss. I will give it four librarians out of ten. It's going to go with five. Okay. So now we're on to Silver Surfer uh, number five. Where did I put that? And the Silver Surfer has to deal with the consequences of having wiped the memory of Zinlaw from the universe. And some of those consequences are being recognized as a hero and uh, having um, the Olympics make the first place medal the silver medal. Uh, something in which my, if my... You could have let me ask. Okay. So, Adam, what would your character, the silver medal, think of the silver medal being awarded for first place at the Olympic Games? It would put him into an existential crisis, um, from which he might not actually recover. Because his whole point is that he finishes second at things, including getting caught... And he is the silver medal. So that would be fairly devastating. However, um, Norin uh, begins to discover some of the challenges. For example, if he silvers down, his Zinlavian outfit has been replaced by a white outfit. I am just grateful that they aren't rendered naked. Yeah, because... Because technically, even a blank white clothing has is sort of culture. If you want to be, in fact, technically, going around butt naked is also culture. It is really hard to completely erase culture without erasing the people. Yeah. Well, to be fair, we're trying to keep this at uh, the comic at a teen level, so that's why. Um. And so the surfer goes off um, for counseling to Owatu, only to find he's been killed and to speak to the guy who replaced him. That was just plain cruel. Well, I don't blame Dan Slott for that. That's just what had happened. Uh, and that's definitely a low point for the surfer because the, the Wat- Owatu, the watcher, is kind of an ever... Um, ongoing um, 
being a constant that you could, could trust in a world of change. And then to have him murdered, that's pretty darn devastating. Um, and then he basically gets the advice to live his life and to take a, a advantage of what lies ahead of him. And You skipped the part where the hotel is doing great business. Yeah, yeah, it's helped Don's fa- him. Him uh, being a friend of Don's family has helped Don's family uh, make a lot of money in the hotel business uh, because marketing. Um, so his girlfriend's sister's uh, husband lets him raid his closet, and he go he picks out the outfit from a phase. A phase where the guy was dressing like a hip hop uh, rapper dude. Yo yo yo! I'm the Silver Surfer. <laughs> and I'm like, why? Why would he go straight for that? Well, it came with a cap that covers a cornbread's old head. Um. But anyway, after getting home from the moon, and he likes to cover. Silver Surfer has been erased from Fantastic or mentions of Zip Law in the Silver in the old Fantastic Four comics have been deleted from uh, the universe along with other references to Zip Law. Well, when you look at the picture very closely, honey, it looks like that he wasn't deleted. It looks like he's just in the blank white outfit. See that panel and that battle? Yeah, because that is stuff that was of Zen Law. And so he's still there. It's just the cultural stuff has been um, disappeared. And after the trip to the moon, he decides to go because Dawn has wondering about and missing her mother, who is estranged from them. So Dawn, so he does the the thing that makes the most sense and flies Dawn right to her mother's house after they've not spoken since she left them so many years ago so that she can ask her mother why she left. Um, which struck me slightly socially clueless. Yes. I'm thinking, you know, if I'm done, I'm thinking, let's get back to space now. <laughs> That's more your forte. Oh, but it's fun to see him out of his element, out of his forte, you know, struggling. I know, but that's been the whole last five issues. Um, You're tired of the Silver Surfer being depressed and moody already? After five issues of it, yes! (laughs) It's like... He's not going to get over this very fast, you know. I know he's not going to get over it, but you gotta get you gotta get him on the spaceways. There was a whole I have one question. Why the heck is Spider Man Peter Parker here in this story for even one page? Cameos. It's it's make mine Marvel with cameos. Um At any rate 
Hopefully he will get off of Earth soon. Um, overall, it's an okay comic. Um, it continues. Uh, it looks at some of the consequences of what's happened before. And, um, and the Amish get a cameo, too. Amish get a cameo. Amish, the amazing Amish man. Overall, I will give the book six surfboards out of ten, and hopefully get off this rock soon. Oh, eight. Okay. All right. I had a lot of good character moments. Okay. Well, enough character moments. Let's get exploring. That's all I gotta say. Okay. Oh, I think you need at least another comic or two to be cover this realistic. I mean, he's lost everything, honey. You don't get over that fast. Yeah, but you might try going to space to explore to get over it, rather than sitting and moping that around That is Earth. highly insensitive of you. Look, he's a comic book character. Get on your surfboard, Norrin, and fly. This is what I want to read. I like it being realistic. The Sentinel of the Skyways. Oh, I gave it an 8. Okay, you can give it an 8. But I want him off the planet. I'm fine with him staying on the planet another issue or two. Okay, well, we'll see what Dan Slot does next time. All right, well, I do just have, I think, just one item to review on my own, and that is Doctor Who, the One Doctor. Well, look at her face in this panel where he shows her and her mother is just. Yeah, very good art. All right, so now on to my solo review of Doctor Who, The One Doctor. And essentially, this is about the sixth uh, Big Finish audio drama from several years back, in which the sixth Doctor finds himself in what he calls the vulgar end of time, where all the big secrets of the universe have pretty much been figured out, and there's not a whole lot being discovered. And the Doctor is known and is a legend. However, it's a legend that's gotten a bit garbled, and a man is actually impersonating him with his own companion, trying to do the universe saving, the planet saving things, in hoping of having a big payday. And the doctor tries to expose this and fails. However, then a real threat comes in, and uh, you're going to need the real doctor to sort it out. And this is actually a bit of a comedy, and it is hilarious. Um, and I think the important thing with science fiction comedies, when it goes wrong, is when you have characters act totally out of character in order to um, affect a comedy. This one, the Sixth Doctor and Mel are perfectly in character, even though it plays to some of the six doctors' more obvious uh, foibles, such as his tendency to ego. Plus, he's given a terrific foil in this fake doctor, and they have some fantastic arguments. Uh, you also do have a concept revealed that Andrea had mentioned um, when they replicated the TARDIS, uh, they got confused about what a police box was. Um, and they thought they had replicated it. And then Mel had to tell them very gently, uh, what you have here is a port -a Um, so it, it was really funny. They, they had, they managed to play some 
uh, clever jokes and even work in, in the midst of this whole crisis that they have to solve, work in a parody of uh, cable uh, installation people and uh, assembly required furniture. Um, so it's incredibly, it's incredibly funny, witty, and it doesn't go over the top. It's probably one of the best Doctor Who comedies. Uh, the only one I would consider uh, to be better than it that I've seen is City of Death. So overall, I will give The One Doctor a rating of 10 Tardises out of 10. Uh, great listen. All right, well, that will do it for this week. Um, uh, f- we'll be back with our next look at River Song. Uh, at a later time but for now from Boise, Idaho this is Adam and Andrea Graham signing off with Lucky Land Slots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case I pronounce you lucky Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.